In a world of downloadable streaming singles, our hope with this podcast is to look a little deeper at what influences musicians and see the impact an album, as opposed to a single, can have on an artist's work. Welcome to The Sound Effect. This is an exciting week for us, Dave. Our first international artist joins us to uh, discuss a record. And the record they're picking is uh, sort of a, probably, I would say, one of our biggest selling albums that we've looked at uh, in a huge record in 1991. And it is REM's Out of Time. Yeah, I'd say, um, I'd say, you know, like we've. I'd say Becca was was a big artist we've listened to mm-hmm. or we've talked yep. about here, but 
the album Sea Change was not one of his bigger albums. Yeah, R.E.M., right. Out of Time, like that was a monster album for them. Oh, no. no pun not in, monster no, their album. Not, yeah, no pun but... intended. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. That was their, at their time, like that was when they graduated from college radio indie band, uh, Indie mm-hmm. Darlings. I think they had, that was their second, it was their second album that they had signed with Warner Major, I believe. Yes, and, you're right. Uh, so this, but this was the album that, where they crossed over and uh, yeah, they, this is where they got their big notoriety and Losing My Religion, obviously, was the big killer song on the album. Oh, wow. Yeah, like completely, I, I mean, oversaturated radio, right? It Still was- does. It was big. Yeah, uh, seven Grammy nominations in '92. They won three of them. Uh, best music video for that uh, utterly over-the-top uh, cinematography of uh, the "Losing My Religion" video. Um, it was. It, no, yeah, getting getting in it. It's, it was a lot. It's, a, like, it's all. It's. I mean, it's. Yeah, and, symbolism. Every I remember English teachers in 1992 must have been having a field day with it. There's. Uh, <laughs> And then you have best alternative album, but also best pop performance, right? So right. they they were huge, and uh, and that was the I think that was the famous Grammys where he kept taking off his shirts because he had a different T shirt on for every yeah <laughs> that had a different message on it, right? Yeah. Um, so just to kind of review, like REM famously forms Athens, Georgia, like 1980. Uh, Bill Berry, uh, Mike Mills, Peter Buck, Michael Stipe formed the band. Uh, they released 15 albums uh, between their debut album, Murmur, in 1983, and their collapse into now, their final album in 2011. Um, like we said, kind of critically acclaimed, uh, but also popularity. Like They were a popular band. Uh, I think NME called them one of the most beautifully exciting groups on the planet. Uh, they may be and I might be kind of oversimplifying this, but they're one of probably about five bands who we can say um, really started college rock. Yeah. And you can throw, yeah, yeah. you can throw them in the Smiths, the Smiths, Smiths, yeah. You know, like, and that, that to me, if, when you look at those early albums, pre, uh, pre out of time, like that's. Yeah. IRS. Yeah. Like those to me are, the beginnings of alternative rock, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, 100%. And, and you had, yeah. and you had, you had the Smiths on the other side of the pond and you had REM in Georgia and yeah, yeah like the impact those bands had on music would be felt, uh, you know, six, seven years later when, when grunge and hit and a lot of those bands name drop REM as huge influences. Yeah, even Nirvana, which you wouldn't really ever suspect. Uh, but even Nirvana, you know, praised R.E.M. for kind of starting that counterculture kind of rock revolution, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and it's it's time when you kind of look back at it, they may they make some really bold choices in the early years, oh, right? They yeah. they say we're not going to make any cliched guitar solos. We're going to stay away from eighty synthesizers, and then you have that kind of joining with college radio getting financial boosts and campuses expanding their college radio format. So this like, it's like a perfect storm of listener and artists being able to create this sound, right. That becomes quite popular. And, and like you said, 
influences that next generation of the next like six to 10 years. But I'm going to argue we still hear a lot of REM today. Yeah. Right. I mean, as a Decemberist fan, uh, the last eight, nine years of the Decemberist has been solidly grounded in a lot of Bill, uh, a, a lot of sort of Peter Buck style uh, guitar. Style guitar. Yeah. Yeah, and and I and that's where I keep coming back to with this. So, uh, this album produced by Scott Litt, who would go on to produce Nirvana, Unplugged um, in New York, I think some of In Utero, Liz Fair, Julian Hatfield. So he's got his pop hat kind of grounded here on their seventh record. Follow up to Green, which I still think is a really good record. Yeah. Um, but this was this. I mean, you think about the timing of this record. This is 1991, and you've got an album that really is bold in the same way as they said, we're not going to use synths in the 1980s. In 1991, they say, eh, let's make an album with organ, acoustic guitar, and mandolin. And by the way, this is our second album on Warner Brothers. Yeah. and this <laughs> like it's, a, it's a kind of bold choice, oh, right? It's incredibly bold. And I often wonder, like, this brought me back when 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 Quivers decided they wanted to do this album. Like, oh wow, this is bringing back some crazy memories now because <laughs> I was there. You know, I was never a huge REM fan, and right, I, I I remember liking a couple songs off Green, but like, yeah, you know, it's good, and it was good to hearing something fresh on the radio. It sounded fresh, you know, when yeah. you you know, yeah. as a kid growing up in the country with no access to to much music or good radio stations, something like this, the radio stations were playing was like, wow, this, this sounds fresh. It sounds good, but it mm-hmm. didn't, it wasn't enough for me to go out and like, just buy everything. But you know, I loved green. I, I, I thought, uh, the one I love was great. End of the world. We know it. Yeah. Like that's, those are classic now radio. I, I loved orange crush. Yeah. Still orange crush is great. You know, Superman, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just, just good songs and good, well-written songs that sounded so different. And, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something I, I was there with them. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then this comes out and not to, and this is where I, I, I'm, it finally hit me. I was like, God, how do I not insult our guests by saying I hated this album so much? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I, and no, I, I know what you mean. It, yeah. it, it's, it's tough, but like, and I remember at the time they lost, like, thank God Twitter wasn't around in 91 because they would have just been hammered. Because they could, I remember they, the press kind of dug it. It got good reviews. Yeah, oh yeah, press dug it. And but the press were also pulling in like, oh, but they're losing a lot of fans. A lot of people mm-hmm. do not like the the new sound. And there was a new right. sound. Like it, it's oh, 100% the mandolins, was. the organs, and all that. And you know the the Michael Stipe, I would say at that point was crossing into like the Bono character of R.E.M. compared to before. He was just a really kind of uh, charismatic lead singer who who knew how to control the stage. Like to me, it was like, yeah, this guy, he, he moves around, he's got, he's charismatic and that's great. But now he's moving into the, the Bono, am I taking myself too seriously phase? Mm-hmm. And so that's when like I just, I lost. I I didn't like anything they did after that. Like, f- what's the frequency, Kenneth, and all that stuff. A- everything monster. Automatic for the people. Yeah, yeah, none of that stuff resonated with me at all. So, uh, so yeah. 
Yeah, well, you're bringing up a, a really good point here. I, I and I think for me, uh, and I had a, I had a roommate in college who was a huge REM fan, so I, I got to listen to a lot of REM, and he was the guy who kind of <laughs> got me into the to the IRS era. And I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, there's some really good stuff here. Uh, and and that's he's the guy who introduced me to the green beyond the hits type thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm. I'm like you, and I know you and I have had this conversation before about people like Tom York as well. I think oftentimes uh, there is a personality in a band mm. that can be almost monolithic in your enjoyment of a band, right? Like you can't see past them. Yeah. Uh, and I think of someone like uh, there were years where I did not want to hear a thing from Radiohead all because of one interview uh, with him on Much Music. Sure where I was just like, you're a pretentious twit. Uh, and it really just rubbed me the wrong way. And I just couldn't let go of it for the longest oh, time. I was there. And I was I, like that you, with Pearl Jam too. Like I yeah, er, exactly, early, right? early, early review, like articles about the, them and Rolling Stone and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, if you don't want to be a rock star, get your face off Rolling Stone. Like it right. was that sort of thing. And, and yeah, it rubs you the wrong way. And it's it seems so, to me, it seems so kind of childish right now i'm so angry at this band because of something they said which was probably right. not even what they said you know back then it was hard yeah. to to fact check articles and stuff like that right sure absolutely yeah and that and that was for me i think a thing with me i would hear these things from my roommate who was an rem fan and i would be like man you had me there but then you said that you know i think one of his quotes they used to say to me was yeah he says that Sugar Sugar had a bigger influence on him than the Beatles. And I was like, well, that's a lie. Yeah. I mean, come no, on. No, you're lying. You're just but saying that for would, effect. Yeah, he would make these comments that would just kind of frustrate me. So I wasn't I wasn't oftentimes not able to see past Michael Stipe. Exactly. Uh, that's it. But but when I when I when I listen to this record, and I I'm thankful for the quiver, uh, for quivers for sure. for choosing this record because I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And again, I think I tossed it aside because I'm not a huge fan of uh, of sort of uh, you know, it's weird. Like the the three hits on the album, uh you start off with radio song, which I absolutely think is a terrible oh. song. I just don't like it at all. Okay, just just you, sorry and just sorry, one no, go ahead. one one second here. Radio song uh, features the rapping of KRS okay. KRS One. That's right. KRS-One. Who is a stellar rapper, and I don't know whether he was just bored that day or couldn't really figure <laughs> out what they wanted him to do. But yeah, that it, it is a god awful song, and it, it's it, I felt like it's for rap people that don't know, or for people who don't know rap who think it's like oh it's a rap song with REM yeah. And and it was and, a, I, and and on my second point is like people laugh at roll the bones and no one says shit about uh, radio song. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say good about point. that. <laughs> good point. Good point. Uh, it is that weird time, right? When that, when hip hop artists were were doing these like connections, right? Whether it was uh, this was no walk you know, this way, uh, Anthrax, or, or or yeah, walk this way, or uh, Chuck D on Cool Thing with yep. Sonic Youth, right? It was these little uh, crossovers, right? But yeah. But for me, I'm not a fan of that song. Losing my religion it just is one of those things where it's so overplayed. I just I can't yeah. listen to it now. I nope. just I just so I go over it. But I'm going to tell you, for me, the third single, and I'm going to talk about it because uh, this is going to be an unpopular opinion because I know people hate the song. But 
I, having not heard it in several years and really kind of embracing other things on the record, including like Peter Buck's jangly guitar, um, I really, really, really enjoyed Shiny Happy People now. And and I think there's a couple of reasons why. And I know even REM fans will be like, no, oh, no, oh, they hate that song, which I've heard recently is a bit of a lie. But anyhow, the jangly guitar uh, of P- uh, Peter Buck is at its best on that song. That little hook he gives, when you think about that this is being done when big riffs of rock are kind of taking over the airwaves um, and we're months away from the explosion of Nirvana, he puts that record out and that, that little jangly guitar that in Canada we heard on influencing bands like the Sky Diggers and the Grapes of Wrath uh, and in America like Cracker and Sunvolt and people like that. It's so good on that song. And, and I'm maybe go as far as to say like the most, I, I, again, I, I hate using this word, but I can't think of another one off the top of my head. So the iconic backing vocals of that track. Um, oh, sure. Uh, uh, are, are so fun to listen to now when you have, um, yeah. Uh, Kate Pearson. Why am I forgetting her name? Kate Pearson, right, from uh, the B-52s in the background. And I've always liked Mike Mike Mills as a background singer as well. And his bass line on that song's great. Uh, so I kept finding myself repeating that song which was strange because I wasn't expecting to repeat that song over and over and over again. But I was like, man, this is a damn well-crafted song. Um, And I was able to kind of see past Michael Stipe because it wasn't about some big magical message. It was just about enjoying a pop song. Uh, So I really took to uh, the, so the songs I don't like on the songs on the album, radio song, end game belong. They seem to be too much Stipe for me. Right. Whereas the songs I really enjoyed, Texarkana, Half a World Away, uh, Near Wild Heaven, uh, and and again, listening to Shiny Happy People, seem to be less Michael. So maybe I just like my R.E.M. Like you mentioned Superman earlier. I mean, he doesn't even sing the lead on that, right? So it's like, is it the song? Is Again, I think it argues that maybe it's Michael Stipe I don't like and not so much R.E.M. I don't like.
there, I'd say Peter Buck is pretty iconic. Uh, his, mm-hmm. his sound for sure. And yeah, and they wrote some catchy tunes. So I'm going to say I am in the camp of no, I do not like shiny, happy people. I found it <laughs> just, it's that, it's all. It could fit no, in the. Like- <laughs> it could fit in the realm of toxic positivity, where it's just, <laughs> it's just like like Ned Flanders on overdrive, you know. And so, yeah, I'm just gonna say this is, you know, that that's, those are all good points, and I, and I told I'm totally with you on yeah, maybe it's just it's stipe. It it's uh, you know I I said this is where he kind of crossed into he's Michael Stipe. He's not just the lead singer of REM, but it's Michael Stipe. Mm-hmm. And he's got things to say, and he's going to tell you about it all the time. And yeah, so it was this time they lost me. And it really, honestly, at this time, there was just way more in- more interesting music coming out you mm-hmm. know, that year. Like, go go down the list oh, of yeah. albums that come out in 91, because oh, yeah. 91's brother. a year and a half, for sure. Yeah, so that's, yeah. That's, a, that's a big deal. So there was just too much, too much coming out. I I felt they'd kind of, you could, at the time, I'm sure I used the word sold out because they signed to Warner and this was their second album and their music was more radio friendly. It was more that just radio picked up on it more. Yeah. I think they wrote what they wrote and did they write it for radio? I don't know. It was well produced Mm -hmm. and I, but honestly, I think just radio caught up to them and that's right. Um, but to, to me, Listening to it again, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. I always liked Texarkana. I wasn't a. That's a great song. It's it's one of the songs that I always dug, and and I, I think I listened to it uh, the album a couple times where I'm just like, meh, whatever. So maybe I just didn't reach the end. But you said, "Ooh, I always like me and Honey." I love and that so, song. So love I listened that to that, and now I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is a great song." But those two songs, Texarkana, Me and Honey, I would say sound most like REM from early IRS stuff like that. Those could, those could fit, find their way on any of their IRS albums, I think. So maybe that's Uh, why they, they attract me a little more. Looking ugly, looking ugly at me Knew what you were saying, you were saying to me Baby's got some new rules, baby said she's had it with me
neighbor said she's had it with me There's a fly in the not for me but uh our guests today this this album meant a lot to them i'm curious well, yeah. to, i'm curious how old these guys are these folks are <laughs> you know because because dude i was around when this album came out like it, it, it's yeah i'm old i remember when nirvana hit and and things like that and it's it's now when did you it's going to be interesting to find out when did you discover this how mm-hmm. how did you discover this and and things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say two songs off it. I'm digging and the rest it's, it's just didn't speak to me. Well, and, and you brought up there that, uh, like we were both sort of hinting at that, at the stipe element of it. Right. Uh, and, and and listening to, and that I'm sure we'll get into this in the interviews and we might end up leaving a lot of this on the cutting room floor, Dave, but, um, there's a lot of what I hear on this record by Quivers is not Stipe, but I hear more of the other yeah. elements of REM, the bass lines, yep. uh, the jangly um, Rickenbacker guitar. Uh, I hear that more than I hear Michael Stipe in Quivers. So that'll Same. be a kind of interesting conversation. Uh, and I also think it's going to be something we've talked about before in the past with um, – uh, with the uh, Church of Trees, and we also discussed it a little bit with Status Non Status, is where you're at emotionally with a record. Yeah. Like what you're going through when a record sure. comes out. And I know that that holds a particularly interesting place here for, for our guest today as well. And this is why I, I, I really don't want to insult anyone. <laughs> but, right. No, you know, and, 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 we, and we come from a time where it's like you, you, you park your flag. This is <laughs> this is my music. That album is terrible. I know better. Well, and we are, and that's obviously something we've said from the start, right? What yeah. happens when we come across an album we don't like? I yeah. mean, you had that a little bit with Sea Change, yeah. but you were able to kind of get past some of it. Um, I'm not always the biggest fan of some of the stuff that that we listen to, but I'm, but if we can find that, oh, okay, I kind of connect with it. But again, this show is not about us it is about the record right so what do our what does our guests have to say about the record this opening spiel is just us giving us our two cents two cents for whatever is that worth you know Uh, so maybe it's time to maybe it's time to introduce our guests absolutely 
Oh, I just I just will also say one other thing. At the at it was around this time too that Mike Mills decided he wanted to start dressing like Graham Parsons with the yeah. the big uh, diamond studded colorful clothing and stuff like that. And I'm just yep. like, what are you guys doing? But they, last but point, he does. He really does buy into that, right? Like, I mean, oh, they're big, big. They become big star fans. Uh, kind of, there was always that bird sentiment. Like, you almost get the feeling that, like, if if this band was Peter Buck and Mike Mills's band, they would sound way more like the Birds, probably than uh, than anyone else. Yeah. Uh, right with that jangly guitar, that Graham Parsons sensibility. But yet, yeah, you're right, and I think you hear that a little bit in songs like Texarkana and near while heaven uh those songs have a more kind of country-ish feel yeah and that's and when i you know as much as i like roll my eyes at that and i'm like well who's graham parsons so you start researching that and figuring like oh okay cool and you know you you you, from there you can go to tim buckley Mm -hmm. and that whole early uh alt country type quote unquote lack better lack of a better term but that style of music that they were doing and early bir- and uh, later bird stuff too, right? Like it's yeah, it's all like sweethearts of the rodeo and things like that. It's it gets you into that as much as you're just like, oh, for God, Mike, just just play your bass, right, right. But yeah, so it, it's whether or not I leave that part in, I don't know. But it was it's a it's just interesting. <laughs> it's just interesting how even even just not the non musical part of it can influence you to go look around. And at that point, yeah, uh, you know you're of a certain age where if you're a music fan, you're just a sponge and you're, and you want to hear things and mm. something new. Right. So, and early nineties were just an explosion of not just like, because at, at that point too, no one was, no one was afraid of name dropping. Like, yeah, I listened to Tim Buckley. I listened to Graham Parsons, you know, yeah, you John didn't, Prine didn't yeah. matter. Didn't matter. And that's where all of a sudden these older artists who had been do- around for years are being rediscovered. This is all pre-internet. Well, and- and if we go back for our original, our, our pilot episode where we talked about influences, uh, I guess that maybe could be a refreshing thing about REM here, right? When you have bands like who were not wearing their uh, influences on their sleeve and, and acting like they weren't, you know, yeah, you know, listing the Led Zeppelin, but yet it was obvious. Um, you have here a band who is kind of owning their their influences right? right so and always had i think in the 80s they were the same i mean they wanted to make a mellower more depressing record so they they went and got and went to the studio where um you know nick drake recorded so i mean these guys are people who i think connect with music yeah. right they met because they were music fans so there's something there i think that we can also respect about that right absolutely um, and that thank you for the obligatory nick drake uh name dropping <laughs> In our episode, I think that's we always have to have one. Yeah, we always have to have one. Has to make has to make sense though. Has to make sense. You can't just say Nick Drake for no reason. That's right. (laughs) Uh, So let's get to introducing our guest today. Uh, Australia's Quivers uh, write infectious pop songs that deal with like some very dark subject matter, while also prompting us to sort of hum along with jangly hooks and some sweet sweet harmonies. built around kind of like all four of them singing, two females and two males in the band. Uh, so you get some really incredible harmonies here on the records. Uh, despite having their 2020 U.S. tour um, 
canceled uh, because of uh, unfortunately because of covid uh and which included a north by northeast performance by the way uh quivers found heavy rotation on kexp and released uh their own take on the very album that we're talking about today rem's out of time um we're pleased to have our first international guest on the show sam nicholson from quivers thanks for joining us sam editor's note it's at this point you should realize we recorded our part at a different time than when we talked to Sam. So when you're wondering why Tom and I sound like we just <laughs> rolled out of bed, we literally just rolled out of bed. Good evening. Hey there. How you doing? <laughs> and, uh, and welcome to our first international artist, Sam. Yeah. This is exciting. Thank you. This is exciting. Yeah, we're excited too. Uh, so, um, overall, uh, bands usually don't go in with just one influence. Who else is influencing the sound of, of Quivers? Who else is coming in to, to where, where, are you, where else are you stealing ideas from or getting ideas from, from other musicians? Uh, who, who else is influencing that sound? Uh, I don't know. Like, I guess it's probably always the bands you're playing with and the band, you know, the, and your friends' songs as, as much as what you listen to growing up and everything. But I mean, in the band, I guess for me, like, it's so cliche, but like the Beatles was like what I was obsessed with at age 10, 11. And like every single song, because <laughs> I had like a year off, off, um, off school where I was, um, yeah, like, just just listen to the Beatles because I was uh, uh, getting chemo and I was actually really happy when I found out I got cancer because I got given the Beatles box set, so every single album. <laughs> and I was just, st- I don't know if you say it, like stoked. I was so happy. Also, there's so much jangly stuff that I love from the 80s and the 90s. But, I mean, also like... Guided by voices and a lot, a lot of um, you know, like the classic kind of big star and um, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I, and I don't I, know. I can say that you know, listening to the latest album for sure, I hear the REM influence in there. It's not, you know, blatantly, and I and I don't mean by mistakenly listen to the Out of Time cover album you guys did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to the new one and it's yeah it's there you're you're it's not you're wearing it's not you're wearing your heart the your influence on this on your sleeve it's it's just like yeah I can hear that these folks are fans of REM and is it band like right across the band or are you like the main cheerleader for out of time and REM um I don't know I guess I mean some of the people in the band are a little bit younger so they might have just missed like I mean I grew up with like hearing my hearing metal from my brother's room and um, REM and yeah, mostly REM from my sister's room. So it was kind of like it's just what what you hear, isn't it? Yeah. Like you don't even choose your influences. Like I think it's too, it's funny too. Like you know when it goes to like write biography time, everyone says the bands that they want to say that make them sound cool. <laughs> People don't say like what actually. Yeah influences them i I get what you mean yeah some people uh are just like oh yeah i'm really into black flag because because that's cool 
<laughs> but like, don't look at their like top played songs <laughs> of all time because it's not Black Flag. Yeah, the evidence is out there now, right? <laughs> I was about to like say some really embarrassing shit that I actually listened to, <laughs> so I won't say that. No, they, you just you know the stuff you forget about what you really listened to as a teenager. Yeah, and then you hear it again, and you're like, holy shit! Like, like I completely forgot about Counting Crows until yesterday. And then I listened to it and I was like, I remember all these lyrics. Nostalgia will kill you. It's a poisonous dye. It'll slow you down. It reaches your heart But I'm not ready For someone new I just want to stay Right here And sing about you The fortune tellers They will write There will be a darkness It really is amazing how the lyrics just go back to you years later, right? It's 
it's like part of your subconscious. You yeah. you remember it yeah. all, right? Yeah. How, how old uh, How old were you when Out of Time? If you don't mind me asking, when Out of Time came out, how old were you in '91? I'm pretty sure I was I was five. Jesus. <laughs> but you know, I put my headphones on. And yeah, yeah. Well, my, myself, I was uh, I was 19, and so 18, 19. Anyways, uh, I was around the same. It was. It was a big time because that was like there was a shift happening in music around that time. Uh, you were moving out of the the 80s hair metal and the underground alternative scene was starting to build. And so, yeah, R.E.M., just like for context for me, I think is why like I was t- telling Tom when we recorded our early part, you know, I was kind of with R.E.M. leading up to that. And then I felt it was a bit of a shift sonically that you know and at 17 18 you're using the word sell out and stuff like that mm. a lot and they had signed to this was their second major label album and you were you were reading a lot about that in the press it was just like oh they've changed their sound it's a little more friendly now it's a little less college radio and a little more radio radio and uh totally. you know and you know, but it's funny, and so you're in the middle of that, and now you got to, you know, 20, 30 years later, you got to remove yourself from that. But you were, mm. like, this is just, it hit you. Like, this would have been your first exposure to them, uh, pretty much. Right? I'm assuming I'm assuming at five, you weren't listening to documents and <laughs> yeah, all the old IRS. Exactly, exactly. I've already gone through the IRS years. <laughs> that was my no, three- I mean, and four-year-old. Yeah, yeah so young. <laughs> I think like my sister actually worked in a CD shop and so she had this like you know this like CD tower thing <laughs> with like 500 CDs in it and she had yes yeah, so much REM so much U2 um so much Cunning Crows <laughs> um but so I definitely heard this actually Automatic for the People was my first album oh, okay. REM album and then you slowly go, oh, hang on, everyone says the early stuff's cool. I better pretend I'm listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> so what, so like Dave and I said, there's certainly elements of your album where we can hear, um, we could hear R.E.M. Where does it influence you? Is it the writing? Is it the sonic production? Is it certain sounds the band are trying to gather? What's, where is that connection between R.E.M.'s out of time and Quivers? Um... I don't know. I mean, I guess like just that whole Peter Buck guitar vibe that they they still had then. I, they totally. I don't. I get that guitar sound changes after like New Adventures in Hi-Fi or something. Hey, a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know, but I don't really. I've never really drawn the like comparison bow back to think about this until now. You guys are really going to ask hard questions, aren't you? But I guess. <laughs> And like it's, I love it's seven a.m. here, man. Come on, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I guess like, um, maybe I wish like I I really really like Michael Stipe's kind of approach to singing and lyrics, and maybe as I'm someone that like writes lyrics that are probably too direct and too earnest and stuff, I just wish I could be like you know. 
cooler like Michael Stipe and just be obtuse and like he has like a very different command of words to a lot of singers I think like the way the, I don't know like maybe so maybe it's like a, and like I find them fascinating because they're so poppy but they're also like kind of impenetrable like like what is he singing about like you sort of feel something but you have no idea what it's actually supposed to be Hmm. Yeah, and that's that's just the time of that charismatic lead singer, right? Like it's, I feel it it really changed shortly after that. The the caricature of this lead singer kind of took over after that, but before that, you know, you had your in the '80s, and again, I'm telling my age here. You had like guys like Bono. Uh, Tim Kerr from Simple Minds. There, like the the singer was the person on stage. So, mm. yeah, and that was your focal point, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And, and I can see, and that's and that's probably what drove me away from REM too. I just I was kind of done with Michael Stipe shortly after that. And uh, yeah, a lot of people that that's that's what uh, draws them into REM is Michael Stipe, right? But then there's also like I mean the bass playing is awesome. Like the like the drama is like like Bill Berry yeah. is such a cool simple drama. Like like not I mean you know it's not like it's the opposite of like metal drumming or I don't know. It's yeah. just like yeah. it's it's really really cool how like he just seems to be like such a humble awesome musician who's actually so important and all the singing as well like I guess all the harmonies like that's definitely something that for our band um is kind of inspiring it's just like everyone should sing you know like Mike Mills and Bill Berry are such cool singers yeah well we were we were saying that too like their their backing vocals are are on this record I think in particular I mean uh, I I know for years people have kind of laughed off shiny happy people but one of the things I I was sort of noticing on this uh, I was driving home the other day from up north. I had headphones on as I was driving and listening to this record. And I listened to Shiny Happy People four times in a row, uh, which and you told me 25 years ago I would have done. I would have disagreed with you. Uh, but listening to it, it was like, I don't know if there's a song with more iconic backing vocals. Like between Kate Pearson and Mike Mills, yeah. that that combo is... Like that's the part you remember. You almost forget the Michael Stipe lead line because the backing vocals and the harmonies are so they're not like your typical birds like harmonies or anything with like, you know, we're all fantastic singers, but they're all perfectly in place. It's it's, it, you know, and you notice that on me and honey and, and um, oh, man, on, me and honey. I think on near wild heaven. Right. I mean, on those songs, the, um, yeah, they're they're really you're you're quite right. The backing vocals are, are terrific, and the and the harmonies that they're getting are are really really cool. And you know, it's something I sort of pushed aside as before. But listening to it here, you really hear it on this record. And I don't know if that's something they. I have to be honest, I haven't really really listened to their last few albums. Mm-hmm. But like, I get the impression that they took away the harmonies a bit, and it becomes more just like Michael Stipe's vocal. Maybe because yeah. Bill like, Berry left, like, right? Maybe. Yeah, true. Bill Berry's Maybe. gone. Yeah. But yeah, oh man. And then just hearing um yeah, is Kate Katie Pearson? Kate Pearson. Yeah, Kate Pearson, yeah. Like 
can you imagine a different universe where like like even the 80s wasn't still so bloke like so guy dominated Mm-hmm. That it was like you know all these bands of like four guys still was such a norm. Can you imagine a, like how awesome it would be if like Kate Pearson was in REM yeah. <laughs> yeah. the whole time? Yeah. Well, she almost well, felt they- like a like a fifth member on that album, right? Like she's sprinkled out throughout the album, and by then the B three fifty two is like if you were a fan, you knew them from like the late seventies and onward. But by then they were a household name, and so this was a big deal having her on the album. Yeah, I mean, they were huge, right? Like, for such a weird, amazingly eccentric pop band. And and also communal vibe there with the whole Athens, Georgia thing, right? Like, they really are kind of pulling in that that friend group, right? And you you mentioned earlier, Sam, that idea that you're, uh, which is so cool because we always talk here about big influences, but... uh, you talked about being influenced by those bands that you were around, that community that you're part of, right? So you might be it might be really cliched for you to say, Oh, I I'm so influenced by the Beatles, but you're also influenced by, you know, the band you just played with last week, you know, uh, mm. in, in your local club. Right. Well, still influenced by the first bands you play with when you're like 18, you know, you yeah. your first like hometown show. It's like, like far out. Like there's amazing songs that you just like, just arrive. Hey, you hear them. And yeah. I mean, if, if, if you wrote a truthful bio, it would be like, I'm actually influenced by all this really embarrassing stuff from when I was a teenager and the first bands I ever, you know, like <laughs> that you, you ever saw. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's well, in. We just had one of our pop-up episodes not too long about guilty pleasures. And really, are they, awesome. are they, are they embarrassing? Really? Are they guilty? No, that's, that's who made you the artist you are, right? How can you, yeah, how, just, how can you discount that? Or it's like what you actually listen to in the car when it's just you. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's and that, and that community thing uh, of like those small close close knit bands who are close to you. I mean, you can. I don't think I ever would have looked back at REM's catalog and said, "Oh yeah, I hear lots of B fifty twos there." But obviously, there is some connection between the community they're part of and them playing shows earlier earlier days in, in Athens. So so there is a community vibe there, right? Which is which is so cool to see. You mentioned earlier the jangly guitar. Uh and that for me is like the star on this record is Peter Buck's guitar. Um I gotta ask first, I think I've got my guitar sounds down pretty well. I'm assuming you play Rickenbacker. Uh, uh, like you're, I, you've funny, got, I could afford one. <laughs> you're expensive. Yeah, man. Because you've got you have mimicked that sound. Uh, I mean, I think well, it's pretty, sorry. Go ahead. Actually, we we did borrow. We you know we we realized we had one friend who had a Rickenbacker, <laughs> and we, we I borrowed the twelve string Rickenbacker for oh a few God. songs on the record. So you your, was, your ears are completely on okay. Because I was thinking when it breaks, okay, when that when that jing, jangle comes up and when it breaks, uh, that's that's Peter Buck, you know, uh, Roger McGuinn personified. I was like, man, this there it is. Because I remember when I first heard Gutters of Love and was trying to go, okay, R.E.M. All right. But then when when that song came out, I was like, oh, there it is. Okay, um, so walk us through the the Peter Buck sort of influence to your playing. Um, I don't know because like. I guess like, that, like, to me, that is the birds and it is George Harrison and it mm-hmm. is, like, I don't know, like, then, I mean, there's also, of course, like, 
the chills in New Zealand, the clean, but like, I love those bands, but I didn't grow up with them. So I don't think that's like personally for me, that's what I'd write in the bio to be cool. It's not like, they're amazing. And I want to listen to them more, but yeah. I mean, I think you hear it on Chinese medicine uh, and certainly in, um, it's weird. The jangle seems to come along with that, that, that Rickenbacker sound they're they're like intricately connected right that like no one I, I you don't hear anyone go wow that Gibson SG got a really nice jangle to it like you know it's just it really is so mm. connected to the sound of the Rickenbacker right and again I don't I don't know if anyone does it better and, and I'll include Roger Rickwin and and maybe even George Harrison here I mean what a like Peter Bucks Guitar, and I was saying this to Dave in our pre-production, if this is 1991, this is big riff era rock, and here's Peter Buck coming along going, you know, I'm just going to noodle away here in the background with this jangly guitar part, and it's just... I would argue man. I would argue he even toned it down from... <laughs> yeah, from some of, yeah, true enough, <laughs> yeah, right? So. Yeah, well, I don't know. I was trying to think, like, who... Yeah, like, like Peter Buck is like the most amazing Peter Buck. Like I love the way that he kind of, he's, it's just Peter Buck. Like yeah. he's kind of a simple guitarist in a way, like, but he just plays himself so well. Like it's just, he I don't know. Yeah, yeah something cool about it's, it's distinct, right? You, you know it's an REM song when it comes on the radio or whatever. And like just thinking about like shiny happy people, <laughs> like I don't know, I can't handle the chorus, but the verse is like <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the album because like Peter Buck's guitar is just beautiful. Yeah, so that nice. Is a, that is a lovely melody, basically that he's mm. got going there. It's not a riff; yeah. it's it's just a nice uh, melodic rhythm. And and yeah, you can, like you say, you take out the chorus, and uh, but that yeah, that's beautiful. And, mm. dis- and distinct, you you know, that's either REM or a really late Roger McGuinn song, and uh, you can hear it's that you can hear the influences there too. So completely, it's like if you hear Neil Young, you know it's Neil Young playing guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. You know it's Peter Buck. So Tom's not having a heart attack right now. <laughs> He is trying well, to form just... some sort of question. <laughs> Does the rest of the band are the rest of the band fans of REM too, or was that your pressure to to say, "Hey, we're going to re-record out of time for this for this small label in the states"? Uh, was this Sam dropping the hammer on the band, or was this a band decision to to do this? Learn it. <laughs> we actually are pretty democratic. I have to say. Okay, good, but um. I don't know. I really don't know. Like, I think that we were going to do uh, Automatic for the People. We're going to cover that um, initially, but that's the one that I grew up on. So you, we kind of, I'd, well, I'd sort of, it's harder to cover in something that you know so well, like whereas Out of Time kind of seemed a bit like riskier and a bit more fun. <laughs> yeah. was, um, it that, was it that Automatic was too close for you like emotionally was there like a connection that you just thought this is a this is a perfect record for me it's so so many emotional connections i can't i can't do it i think it was more just like i'm it's the one that i know so well that the whole time i just feel like an imposter you know Mm. or feel like we were like like kind of what's the point like (laughs) whereas out of time i feel like he's a little bit more of a like 
divisive album for people. You know, when you talk about shiny, happy mm-hmm. people and you talk about um, radio song. Radio song. <laughs> so it, I don't know. It just seems like a bit more of a fun challenge. And then also like a cool opportunity for um, Bella and Holly, especially to sing a heap, you know, and Mike a bit too, but like it was kind of the draw to out of time was probably that um, to get, to get Bella in particular singing a couple of the, than Mike Mills songs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she takes the lead on our cover of Texarkana and New Wild Heaven. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think, like, when when we talked to Ten Table Kitchen, who we covered this R.E.M. album for, they were kind of like, you can choose anything you want, but, like, kind of please choose something that people know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we just narrowed it down to R.E.M., rather than like freak out about like it being anything you know really obscure yeah yeah or even like you know rather than like debating in between 10 different bands you know it was just kind Mm -hmm. of like let's just do it and we also recorded our covers in like four days you know like not really in a studio so it was just like shit we're just gonna do it (laughs) well that's odd because they come off sounding like oh god these people have been playing these songs since their childhood so of course they sound this good uh like it it sounds like you just like oh okay you you all just hopped into the rehearsal space for a few hours like yeah yeah that's good we got this yeah we're good yeah I'm lying. We're actually in the rehearsal studio for like 30 years, <laughs> just like working on it. Yeah, but right. I think that's down to our producer Matt because, like, he he can he made a rehearsal space for people into thinking that we were in a real studio, mm. big bucks. <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds great. I, I mean, and and I think mm. one of the things about a, a cover is you want it to be as close to the original. You want it to bring something from the band, right? So you can see the band in there. And I think you did a stellar job with that. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, like, to see that you you Aussies seem to fall into making recordings of full albums. Uh, I think it was uh, fellow Melbourne uh, singer Courtney Barnett did the In Excess Kick album in its entirety. Like, I don't know what it is about. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a cool idea that, uh, that you guys did there. So... We just like biting uh, uh, off more than we can chew. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did, go, she, did, she did kick. Was there a desire for you guys to do like ACDC or something? Or an Aussie. <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like you, we would just 100% like disappoint everyone if we tried to do that. You know? Whereas at least Arian, you can kind of like mess it up a bit, but people will be like, you know, good on them for trying. That's okay. 20,000 miles to
cancer early on and this is this was your big moment listening to rem you just had time to listen to the beatles and rem like what first off what other bands kind of fell in there and well like and was it and was it uh and and i'm i'm guessing at sorry how old were you when you you had this i was 10 11 like holy traumatic going through chemo at 10 and but still like all right i got the beatles uh albums to go to here i'm, I'm good you know so yeah yeah did that, do you find did you find that music it's almost cliche but did music give you strength through that um i'm sure it did i'm sure it did because like i think the thing too being a bit younger is like i didn't really contemplate mortality in the way that people you know you would if you if you got cancer a bit later so I was just like so happy that I was like, I've got every Beatles album I could ever want, you know. I've got like I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, so I ate like just chocolate croissants every day. <laughs> <laughs> and like I guess too, you do that thing of like you forget the bad bits and you remember the good mm. bits. So I've definitely done that, but it probably just and then, and also my best friend had already had cancer, so I was kind of like weirdly another reason I was excited because I got to go to cancer camp with my friend Ian. (laughs) 
Um, he actually has an awesome band you should check out <laughs> called the Sunday League. What, what's the band called? The Sunday League. The Sunday League. All right. Yeah. Um, well, they're awesome. Like, like kind of like imagine like a, a very Australian country-fied Weezer. Okay. Now you, I'm in. I'm in. For sure. Uh, so, okay. Um, so get it. Yeah. Be Australian, get cancer, form a band. Got it. And, uh, but yeah. So how long were you doing chemo? Uh, not to get too personal. Here, no, no, just it's okay. Curious. Like, I mean, I'm happy talking about pretty much anything. It's just still uncomfortable for me, just the concept of talking about myself. Like I'd prefer to talk. I no, only because that just, I, I hate it when people talk about themselves yeah. too much. Well, I guess is, you're well, asking me we, questions. This is why we brought, we, we started this. It was just like, well, you don't have to talk about yourself. Talk about your favorite album. <laughs> yeah, and, true. And, uh, but like in this instance, your favorite album and part of your childhood kind of intertwined yeah yeah well, i think too because i had like a year pretty much off school so i just had so much time you know and yeah. I, I listened to automatic for the people so much like and so it's one of those things like everyone has where it's very vivid memories attached to um like try not to breathe especially you know that mm. song like yeah just, yeah i can smell what my room smelt like when I got shingles and I had to put the ointment on because, you know, like didn't, yeah, I guess your immune system's kind of wrecked when you're yeah. on chemo. So um, got shingles and I just remember listening to that like so much. And so, yeah, that's why it's hard to go back to that album. I, I, I wouldn't want to like play those songs, but I guess it's, it's a, yeah, it meant a lot. Yeah. It's a melancholic, it's a, a melancholic album too, right? Uh, I mean, it's yeah. lots of nostalgia from Michael Stipe and the lyrics and like a lot and, of death. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a sad, it's absolutely a sad album on their part. It's probably one of my, uh, like maybe my favorite REM song is night swimming, which is, oh, uh, which is just a beautiful song, but it's, there's so much, you're right. There's so much darkness in that album too. Like it's, Sweetness follows. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's it's interesting to think about a ten year old going through this, and that that being the album that that's sort of funneling through is a, is just sort of a very uh, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting vision to sort of put in your head, right? For an, for an album, it is funny to get older and then realize how much of that album, especially, is probably about mortality. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but when you're a kid, you're just like, what's Michael Stipe singing? <laughs> yeah, right. You don't get it, right? Yeah, I look back at a lot of music I listened to and went, oh, my gosh, how did my parents let me listen to this? Like, this is pretty <laughs> sketch, like, you know, so. I was just going to say, like, I, I kind of, I do think of Out of Time and Automatic for the People kind of being a bit like Revolver and Rubber Soul, actually. Mm. How you so? Know, like, it's, well, I guess, like, they're both, albums that to me could be a double album like it's a very specific time for rem and for the beatles where like yeah like they have like all of a sudden they do i mean beatles i mean they've been huge forever yeah. but like i guess they've got you know studios they can do whatever they want you know so it's kind of like both those bands start to like put in the bells and the bells and whistles, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. they're not REM don't want to be just like that, like indie guitar band, you know, right. anymore. They want like, I, mean, I just was reading about how, cause I did a little bit of homework cause I did this. <laughs> um, just reading about how like 
um, REM when out of time kind of came out or all that, that sort of period, they like didn't want to tour if it meant playing the old songs. They're I was, like, I was just going to gonna say, yeah, they gave up touring around this time and cause they could afford to. Just like the Beatles yeah. gave up touring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I remember, I think I remember, I remember thinking at the time, you pretentious asses, get your butts out of there and, and play that stuff. But Hey, at the time you could do that, right? Touring. Get back like to the that. stadium. Yeah, get back <laughs> to the stadium. Come on, you got hundreds of thousands of people wanting to see you. But uh, wanting to hear like, yeah, stand in the place where you could <laughs> But and also and also work with the orchestras at that time, right? Like, so their one-off shows were with orchestras. I mean, you're right. There is a connection there between that 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 era. Beatles also transitional albums right an album that was moving the beatles to a new sound two albums that were moving rem out of that indie indie rock college rock sound right so uh, yeah absolutely it makes a lot of sense yeah like i guess you and because neither band could stay where they were Mm -hmm. really like you can't like would you want 15 albums of like murmur which is such a good album you know like Mm -hmm. that's not gonna work either like it makes me think too. I don't know. Do you guys like Modest Mouse? Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, yeah. That's another band that was so weird. Yeah. And then like a major labels, like you know what, we're going to give you money, do whatever the fuck you mm-hmm. want. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then like I feel like they did the same thing. Like they put out a couple of massive albums, but are still weird. Like REM still stay weird through. Yeah. This eccentric. period, they had that eccentric vibe to them too. It's yeah. not, and now that they have, you know, as you're watching them, they're like, oh, now they have money. Now they're even more eccentric. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a weirdness there in the fact that you're, I mean, even in 1991, when you're releasing this during guitar rock laden songs and you're coming up with Dave and I were saying, you, you decide we're going to make an album with uh, mandolins and organs uh, in 1991. I mean, nowadays, like that album would fit so perfectly into the musical landscape today with, you know, bands mm. like the Decemberists and the sort of post Mumford bands. Like that oh, idea. Man, I'm of- sorry. I hate Mumford and Sons. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not a huge Mumford fan, but that whole like, like in that influence of that. <laughs> Sorry, that was really rude of me. Oh God, you should hear what I said about Out of Time before you joined. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the uh, but that sound, that sort of folky folkiness to music that we have, you know, I mean, they would they would that album would fit perfectly into I think the musicals landscape right now, That's which so makes true. you think, which makes you think, was it so ahead of its time that it? You know, it's almost amazing it became a popular album, right? Well, it's like losing my religion, like, has to be one of the strangest, massive songs. Yeah, hits, yeah. For sure. Hits, like, I mean, it's so dark. Like, it's got mandolin, like, the hottest mandolin licks had since I don't know when. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Mandolin Wind by Rod Stewart. Yeah, there you go, Tom. (laughs) I remember at the time that being a very divisive song, too. Like, you had your your hardcore REM fans who kind of come up with them, and then you had the radio REM fans, like the the contemporary pop radio, that were just picking up on them because of that song. And, yeah, that was a a divisive time. I'm sure in the band that's hard because all of a sudden your fans are transitioning, not just your music and everything, right? 
I guess that's the bonus if you if you could just stay in the studio, you don't even find out what the yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't have known. They're just like, you know what? I love the sound of this man. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, that was. I remember Peter Buck saying at the time, he goes, "I don't give a fuck what people think about what we if we put a mandolin on our album." I wanted to do it, and so we did it. Yeah. And now you can see, you know, when he shows up on albums with the December playing the mandolin, right? It's like, oh, there you go. There's yeah. that. Everything's come full circle, right? Yeah. So 30, Sam, so 30, Sam Walker, thirty, years, 30 oh. years ago, he was right. <laughs> like, That's right. You don't Still know, right. You don't. You don't pick up on it till years and years later, right? As yeah, it's, it's funny for them. And REM have influenced so many bands, but also influenced so many bands that have then influenced so many bands. Oh, like, yeah. it's pretty. Like, I yeah. It's, I didn't really stop to think about it until I did my homework and I was like, oh shit, like there's no Wilco without R.E.M., you know, there's yeah. no, like, I mean, there is, there is, that every band would still exist. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. I mean, I, it's funny because uh, one of my connections, early connections with R.E.M. was people kind of questioning me when I would tell them bands I liked and then they would say, so you must like R.E.M. And I still remember there's a band over here called the Sky Diggers, and I'm a big Sky Diggers fan, and I said that once, and someone said, oh, so you must love R.E.M. And I went, what are you talking about? They, Oh, my dear God, that moment when you have the epiphany and realize, oh, wow, they do sound like R.E.M., but yet I've loved this band, and I haven't really liked this band. And that epiphany to me was kind of shocking. And then I hear the same thing with the Decemberists, where people say, so you must be a huge R.E.M. fan because, and then when I heard that their their album with Peter Buck a few years ago on it, I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I can hear it now, right? So uh, it is strange when you're when the bands that you like reference a band that you didn't really like as a as a as an influence, right? And you're holy. So I think you're right. I think they had a huge influence on that that era of music: Wilco, Sunbolt, you know, Cracker, uh, all of that sort of almost pre-alt country-ish sound right that kind of comes out totally. i think a lot from texarkana right you really hear that in texarkana for sure oh texarkana is such a good song like i think yeah texarkana new world heaven make me go like i kind of wish mike mills took the microphone a bit more and it yeah. is kind of a little bit of that thing like you were saying about how like bands especially used to be or probably still are too, too often like that focal point thing happens on someone and like, actually, like, how good would it be if like Bill Berry took the lead? Like, how good would it be if Mike was given the microphone again? Like, I don't know. Share it around, Michael Stipe. And I, th I think there's actually something really, uh, like, cool looking back on these bands like R.E.M. that managed to, like, put out 15 albums or just stick around and, like, especially just tour so much those early days. It's, like, actually four people. It's just, like, that that strange combination between four people. Hey, like, just sticking at it, whereas, like, it's harder for bands to do that now because, like, I don't know that it would be hard to, like, get into the studio 15 times because, like, if you're not people – it's just – trickier to sell that many records you know like it's a yeah it, it and a continuously sell records right yeah yeah for sure and it's a different it's a different vibe these days than it is than it was mm. back then like you could 
the labels expect more from you faster. You know, they were given, you know, two or three, four albums to like prove themselves. They and they did it pretty much on the on the second one, obviously. So yeah, yeah it is. Tough. Yeah, it is funny hearing that IRS were disappointed with uh murmur for only selling 80,000 copies. I'm like, "What? An indie label selling 80,000 copies and you guys were disappointed?" That one shocked me when I read it. I was uh, we were like so amazed that we sold over like that we sold out a pressing of vinyl, like a very small pressing of vinyl. <laughs> and in fact, that is honestly like the mountaintop into for like for us. It was like, "Oh my god, like this is Mount Everest." <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's shocking to think about now that, that they were they, the fact that they were they were flummoxed by that and frustrated by that. I'm like, what? <laughs> Eighty thousand? So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, it would have been. A, yeah, it's a good time to be a band now. Like it really <laughs> is, but it, it would have been good <laughs> back then as well. well to I, sell I, some records. I often think at the, at this stage, like right now, if you're in a band, you you're like as the dream is obviously to sell millions and perform your music in front of millions of people. But is that, it's just so much harder to do right now. And you almost just have to give up and just say, look, we're just going to write the music we write. Who cares? And we'll get our fans and we'll put the work in to, to getting it out there and touring it. But it's, mm. it's, it, it just, I feel it's just, it's just tougher to get it out there with so much music now and people have so much access to music. Uh, you're, you're competing with, you know, almost a hundred years of uh, popular music. And mm, I think, yeah. Sorry, I, I, sorry, I'm just thinking like, but it just comes down to like however bands choose to look at, you know, what, I like because I, yeah, what what they actually want from music, you know? Because <laughs> I think like if if your your dream is like you know what we actually just want to like travel the world and have someone somewhere else know our lyrics, it's like like that is such that is success. Like I don't know. I think REM would have like they already stuck at it. Like I, I like to think that REM would have kept going even if they didn't have a major label. Uh so we've pretty much talked at some point about every song on Out of Time. Uh, Tom and I have our favorites. What's your favorite on the album? And why? <laughs> this one always gets people. It's always funny. It's uh it's like picking a it's like picking your favorite child or something. Uh <laughs> Tom, Tom oddly uh, enough, has no problem picking his favorite child. It's weird. <laughs> um, see, because with Automatic from the People, I would say Night Swimming straight away. Mm-hmm. But with Out of Time, there's probably like, it's probably, there's probably like four songs. And, you know, like, I don't know. I guess me and Honey. Good choice. <sighs> or, <laughs> or, <laughs> near wild heaven or texarkana or um belong or um half a world away probably even half a world away yeah half a world away what is it about that um like the lyrics like i feel like like, actually maybe some of stipe's lyrics are actually more direct like they actually are quite direct when you maybe and that one i feel like it's just such a feeling the production i kind of don't really (laughs) (laughs) 
like I don't know. It's funny, but like I've just uh, the song and the sound and the feeling. It's probably that half a lot away. This could be the saddest dusk I've ever seen. Turn to a miracle. I lie. My mind is racing. As it always will. My hands tired. My heart aches. I'm half a world away. Here, my head sworn to go to law. Too much to dream. I didn't think. I didn't think of you. I guess that's all I needed to go it alone and hold it alone. Hold along and hold it. Blackbirds backwards, forwards and fall. Eyes. High life, blind the tides turn. The storm it came up strong, shook the trees and blew away our fear. We couldn't leave here to go it alone and hold it alone, hold along.
thanks to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song. Thanks to Sam Nicholson of Quivers for joining us this week. Uh, check out their latest album, Golden Doubt, and follow them on social media. And most importantly, thank you for listening to The Sound Effect. Uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please share it on social media and please let us know. We'd love to hear what you guys think of the show. And uh, please share it with one person out there. What, uh, spreading it by word of mouth is going to be the way in which we uh, kind of get the show uh, a little more listenership. So please, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, please pass it on. If you know an REM fan, please pass it on to them. And remember, there's always a great record out there just waiting to be discovered. So keep listening. <laughs>